0: I tell people like I wear six hats in the same second, right? Like talking to you, I'm like, okay, this is relevant for marketing. This is relevant for an area I wanna invest in. This is relevant for something I want to share with my LPs. And so now every second I'm thinking, and my brain is split into these different compartments.
1: Welcome to the Vitalize Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, the Director of Marketing at Vitalize Venture Capital. On today's episode, we have Shruti Gandhi, the General Partner and Founder of Array Ventures, a venture capital firm focused on solving impactful problems using revolutionary technology. Often that means category-leading startups that take advantage of data, analytics, workflows, and new platforms to change the way an industry works. They invest in smart people with a bold vision. Who take big risks in large or new markets. They want entrepreneurs to tell them what the world's going to look like in two, five, 10 years, and why they're going to be a winner in that world. Let's get to it. Shruti, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. I've seen so much of you online, so good to <laughs> meet you. on <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yes, I love it. It's always fun having these conversations after I've seen people follow them on Twitter for a lot of time. And there is a lot to discuss in this conversation, but I want to start with something a little bit lighter. And from that Twitter and my research of you as well, uh, one thing I have to have to bring up, <laughs> Gandhi Ventures. Why is this not called Gandhi Ventures? Why is it a ring? <laughs> I'm going to start right there. You had a great opportunity just sitting there waiting, like the greatest venture from name of all time. How did that not become the name? I have to know. <laughs>
0: trademark issues. Also, I'm not a nonprofit.
1: (laughs) Like, what is this firm you're running? Like, not that would be a conflict. Uh, I I agree. So we'll settle for Array, which is also great. I I have a great name as well. That definitely works. What I'm curious about for people who aren't as familiar, where are you focused in terms of investment at Array Ventures?
0: Uh, Thanks for asking. We're a B2B enterprise fund. And we invest in, you know, exactly the stage founders are starting the company. Most of our companies the founders have, raised zero capital before our investment and they're just forming the docs and incorporating and all that good stuff so we invest we call pre-seed but i should call it the angel route i don't i don't know those names are all (laughs) up in the air these days i agree so but i say first check um into enterprise b2b data infrastructure cloud security style companies uh that's what we do
1: this is such an important stage, obviously, just this kind of first check, first round in, in terms of capital for this. And it's needed by so many founders. You see them all the time. People reaching out on Twitter, people kind of raising their first funds, especially when you look at like underrepresented founders who struggle to raise capital. They need this early initial stage. How did you decide to start your own venture firm? And did you know right away, like, I want to be first check immediately. This is what I want. This is the need. Just take me to the beginning origin story real quick.
0: That's a good question. Um, I would say that the first and foremost reason I got into venture was to understand venture better. I had a company that failed and uh, for many reasons that I didn't think it should have failed for. So when I decided to kind of learn more about venture-backed journey and venture scale growth, I, that's when I said I'm going to go into venture. And then I was that was my experience I wanted to take into then going and starting a company again. Um, as I decided to go start another company, it became a fund. That is Ray Ventures. Um, the feedback from a lot of the founders that already worked for a few years and was, you went to bat for us. You understand the stage really well. You understand what it takes to build company at, at ground zero because of your technical background. Yep. And you understand the go-to-market motion. So if you're investing, we would love to figure out a way to invest with you or something of that effect with a lot of my founders that already had the ability to do so. This is way back in 2015, right? 2016 timeframe. So when I thought about starting the firm, eventually it was kind of a shift of like, well, it's starting a company. It was not the company I thought I would be starting, but I, I'll i do it because I was very excited about doing that at some point in my future, so why not now? Um, and with that, and I already had a lot of my founders who had committed to, to making that effort happen for me as well, which I was super thankful for. Um, the thing I just knew well was what I'd learned, which is how to get from the zero to one to 10 stage. And that is what I'd mastered. I can't be an expert in the one, you know, the 10 to 100 stage right now or any other. So my goal was to truly help companies and founders, you know, take away that time it takes to, to learn that because I would share my experience in that phase to help them grow faster. Um, and, and you know, that is my, that is my reason of starting at this stage. I can't even think of going at another stage (laughs) because this is the stage (laughs) I love. I think someone called it like Kingmaker. Like this is a stage when you like invest in someone who has no, we we all don't know where they're going to end up. And then they do end up in amazing places. One of those companies is actually a company your firm has invested in Placer. Yeah. Um, I I shared it with Gail and um, you know, it was so early. It was, I'd just done their pre-seed and they were raising the seed and who knew where it was going to end up? It's now a unicorn company. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Great. We thank you for that, by the way. <laughs> for sure. For sure. That's a big part of the, the venture game it, as it is, you know, finding these investments through co-investors. At that time when you're raising, because there's a number of emerging managers now, we're at an interesting time in the market where it's crazy. There's a pullback in some ways from obviously the market being down and everything, but you're raising then. So that was 2015, 2016 timeframe. How was that first raise? I'm just curious because solo GP, woman GP. Just take me through that raise for you.
0: (laughs) Well, so once you have initial commitment uh, from folks, you still have to you still get into this amazing determination of going and wanting to raise a little bit more, which is what (laughs) I did. So we we went after our. I went after my network of people I knew and had worked with for years. Um, It's not easy, especially as you said, solo GP woman. It's not. It wasn't even like one percent of the thing. Then (laughs) Um, it is. I'm thinking if there were any, oh yeah, there were a couple men doing that, uh, at that time, but yeah, not, a, not a single woman in the, really at that time. So it was very difficult. I, I can't, I can't, you know, in any way I can't sugarcoat into like saying this was fine. You should do it. doesn't mean you shouldn't, but it's, you, you know, I had an exit strategy. If I wasn't able to raise a certain amount of capital, um, I wasn't going to do it or, if I did and if things weren't going well in a few years, it, it, was, it would be like a great, I don't think I should be managing your money kind of, a, you know, mindset. So it's always open to saying, because at the end of the day, this is running a venture fund is, is also committing to growing people's money. Yeah. Um, and if you don't think about it that way, then it just becomes like experimentation dollars. And I'm, you know, I want to look at these people in their eye years from and still be their friends and still be in their trusted network um so i you know yeah it wasn't easy and then all the random meetings you take to make that happen is the the worst part of um being a woman solo gp <laughs> yeah <laughs> at odd hours
1: <laughs> a lot to that i know yeah that process i mean even back then what was your your angle, your pitch around that, because as you said, there wasn't really any women at that point, obviously a lot less, like, what was your pitch around that? We're like, okay, this is where I know this is where, this is why you should invest with me because to your point, your, your job is to grow their money. It's like, what yeah. was your pitch back then? I'm just curious.
0: Simple, uh, gender agnostic, but not enough venture funds out there doing first check in the enterprise, true enterprise companies, Yeah. Um, which is still true. Uh, you know, there are a lot of generalist funds but funds who can truly understand the ins and outs of like enterprise software purchasing, um, investing in security, cloud, you know, data generally. Um, right. And at that time I call it AIML, but I don't like it has become like everything is AIML and now, but True. that is a core of what we invest in. But understanding that at the pre-seed stage is very different. Um, so that was a pitch and it's just evolved into a little bit more crisp uh, version of that today but that's what we started out with as well the pitch was very simple though not people enough people doing it few handful firms that i know i work well with them many of them are investing in me um that's it and i've done it for 20 years
1: <laughs> well that's what i was gonna get into okay that's exactly what i want to get into Pray with your experience being at this stage and like with the this this industry in terms of enterprise and everything as well and that experience what are you looking for and what because you mentioned placer early on which became unicorn obviously you have a good track record already uh been at array itself in 2015 2016 but like what are you looking for in these companies then enterprise at the earliest of stages first check take me through some of the things like your process i want to get into the brain i'm sure i'm curious
0: (laughs) well it's i was an engineer for a decade um and i was on a lot of the sides of the business at big companies as well so you know i was solving pain points for what i would have wanted at the time or, or even now and now it's kind of grown into what my companies want and many other things So it wasn't that far off. The the solution I look for is what I call like that brings agitation to employees in their company because they couldn't solve it there and they want to go solve it. Um, And any amount of money is not going to help them stop doing that, like leaving their companies and solving it, leaving a lot of money on the table because they think it's so big enough than being at their existing companies. So that's how it started out. Still, is that. Uh, so, what we solve for is real pain points in enterprise stack. Uh, and that's, you know, it doesn't require like a lot of brain around prediction around, you know, what this is going to be. It's just, I know this needs to be solved for.
1: To that point, with that, and that being one of the areas of it, you mentioned that already, what, like, are you looking then for someone who has just, deep expertise in being having that problem for a long period of time they've experienced it in so many different ways or at this company before. I just want to dive a little bit deeper into, into that side of it with enterprise.
0: Yeah, actually, that's one of the things we look for. So our founders actually skew on the more experienced side because they have done this at their previous companies. They know exactly what it, what they want to do it one more time. Um and then make a lot of money around it because their existing companies are not doing it correctly or they found a different, better approach with a new stack or the go-to-market is going to be different, right? So they know the space really well. That's one of the big requirements for our founders. And they're very technical.
1: Very technical as well. Yeah, obviously important in that regard as well. I'm curious with one thing I saw on the website. It was like Array brings a unique twist to venture capital is what it says. Think of us as your first business development hire, Tell me about more about that and the after the investment, what founders can expect and why they end up working with you at Array and taking you at their cap table.
0: Yeah. You know, I used to literally tell people like a lot of the companies I looked forward to even investing in or didn't, I would still introduce them to a lot of customers. Um, looking back now, like we've changed that a little bit, but oftentimes founders work with like a few of their original customers or people from our network. Um, which is what I say, like, is your business development higher. Like the first set of things you're looking for is your customer development side of, you know, team that you don't have. <laughs> and if it's found let that sales, <laughs> And so having the intros, warm intros to people we know really well in a network is really valuable. So that's what we do. And it's a, it's, it's a straightforward thing. I know that the customer is also looking for that solution because of what I said, which is we're trying to solve pain point in enterprises that we know exists deeply. And for us, it's more being like a matchmaker at that time.
1: It's a lot of this with the deals then. Uh, you're, you know, you've kind of mapped out some of the pain points already you know of, or is it you're still kind of just bringing, depends on the founder obviously as well, but like, are you mapping out and kind of have an idea of, well, we're looking for something that's in this area because you have that expertise? I'm curious about that.
0: Yeah, yeah. That's like Placer is a good example of my master's thesis was, in the location-based service category, and I worked a lot on the space at my previous employer, um, so it was like very well known for what I would look for in that category, and yeah. and that's what I you know so end up. I mean, even though a lot of people didn't want to take that bet and always were nervous about Placer's position in the market, um, I knew that they were going to solve a point pain point that was very important, and they were not going to get into the hurdles that a lot of people thought that they would hit them. So that was why I took that early bet.
1: Okay, we have to talk more about that. You said people weren't people weren't interested in that. Take me through more of that. You said they they weren't seeing the vision quite like you were. Explain that.
0: Well it's like every time you see a company, it looks like a crowded you know, there are not many problems in the world, especially in the enterprise world, that don't look crowded. Um <laughs> sure. you know yeah. the so when you that's just true for most companies, it's all crowded until something breaks out. And most people want to invest in those breakout companies. and so the job I'm in is a different job which is I can't expect breakout when they're just starting out. So I'm looking for very different signals. The signals are more about how you're solving this and let's let's dig into like like how are you gonna differentiate technically um, in this crowded market. So most companies at my stage look like not that great companies. <laughs> and i like it because i get a good you know i get a good um set of folks that want to work me at that point because everyone else is saying no
1: yeah like this is an opportunity then for you which is perfect yeah (laughs) which works out well i have to ask about we haven't really talked about this yet but like with you being a solo gp take me through like the complexities of that and like maybe pros cons of that because we see a, a Number of solo GPs now, I think, I forget who it was on Twitter, was saying like 5% of the job of venture capital as a solo GP is sexy. The rest is not. I'm just curious for you as a GP, like as a solo GP in particular, the complexities around that challenges with being a solo GP for others who are maybe starting venture funds or emerging managers already. Just take me through that.
0: So hard. Um, it's like when you get that capital commitment from people, you don't know what you need. what else you need to do. The thing I tell people, like anyone who wants to be in venture, just doing deals is to just go join a bigger firm. Uh, You work with a partner or team, you never know where the money came from or how it was raised. You're just, you know, creating a market map and finding the best companies and investing. Um, And that's great. But if you really want to truly understand venture cycle, money flow, um, all the work that goes in the front and the back you actually have have to be like a jack of all trades. I mean, as you are, right? Like you have to do marketing. You have to figure out space you want, like other areas you want to invest in. You have to figure out like management with your LPs. Um, So many other things you have to do. And uh, yeah, you have to, I tell people like, I wear six hats in the (laughs) same second, right? Like talking to you, I'm like, okay, this is relevant for marketing. This is relevant for an area I want to invest in. This is relevant for, something I want to share with my LPs. And so now every second I'm thinking and my brain is split into these different compartments. Um, So that's what solo GP is like. It would be nice if you actually have someone to do it with. It is very hard to add someone down the road after you've raised some amount of capital. Um, So until you hit a particular point and then you can just hire some good people. But to be able to, you know, just do something big out of the gate. You should probably, uh, you know, work with other people, which I, I highly recommend. And it was a mistake on my end or however it turned out. Um, and at that time, there were not many solo GPs, too. I could like have just called on. There were some. Yeah. And I was solving a lot of these problems on my own. Angel List was on its early days. <laughs> so, you know, like just being doing docs on their platform was not even like a thing at that time. Um, And working with shitty lawyers and um, it's taken its turn. So I would say it's not easy. And you have to explore all of these on your own while you still find the best deal out there. It's a lot.
1: It's definitely a lot. Yeah.
0: And it's not for everyone. So that person who tweeted that was right. Um, But it's also personality, right? Like at certain point, I love what I do. And to me, being able to not move fast, bring slowing down because of different decision making process between multiple team members, all that, you know, is also not something that I want to optimize on. Right? Like at this point, we figured out a good system around all that. But when you're starting out, you can, you know, your uh, white space on all these categories, and you can, you know, grow from there. So I would say, like, if I were to start another firm, I would definitely think about doing it with someone at that time.
1: Yeah, with. With your firm with array then going from fund one which was 12 ish million dollars going from fund one to the 56 million dollar fund you you raise announced at the end of 2021 obviously from fund one to fund two then now you're at fund three there's a certain expectation going from like the first one you don't have a ton of traction on that particular fund when you're raising fund two but as you get to like fund three you have Fund one to look at you have fund Two to look at just take me through this fundraise that you did for for fund three differences what to expect for because there's going to be merchant managers raising fund three at some point. So I'm just curious on for you, what you learned from that experience, raising fund three, how that process was for you.
0: Um, for me, the process was I'd been returning capital already in fund one. So, cause I told you for me, the biggest metric is I have someone's money and I'm still old school around that. Like, you know, I want to be able to go to their weddings and not worry <laughs> about losing that money for them. Yeah. So having said that, the biggest goal I had always focused was on the DPI metric, and I just returned some. I've returned thirty percent of Fund One, um, so and I just returned some additional capital. So when we started Fund Three, I think most of my LPs have been back from Fund One to two to three. Yeah, and I'm very fortunate for that. Um, and then we so we closed them, and then we added a few other folks, new folks that we love working with um, in kind of like the the second close after that yeah so that's how we did it
1: and with fund three being a 56 million dollar fund different much different than a smaller fund in terms of that management fee and then you can do a little bit different things with that how have you thought about just with the team and support as a solo gp when you raise a little bit bigger fund how have you thought about that with uh, with array
0: yeah well? uh, we are hiring so um i'm a little shy of posting the job on on twitter because <laughs> i don't have the bandwidth to go through all that so yeah. i guess you and gail got lucky <laughs> um, but I am looking for an associate, uh, for us, the criteria is, a I I want them to be a little bit more technical. Um, and so that's been a, a little bit of a pause right now for me. Um, if I do find great people that, you know, I'm, I'm open to hiring one or two people and, uh, we did hire a chief of staff. So that has been a great help from, from my calendar perspective.
1: And that was after fund three, you got yeah. chief of staff.
0: Yeah. So far before that, I was mostly alone and I had, um, uh, two other folks like helping, um, as analysts, but yeah.
1: But now you're expanding with this new capital, which is great. Uh, I know I talked to Samar Hernandez recently who raised a $52 million dollar fund and like, yes, building up the team a little bit more is always great. <laughs> I have a little bit more help because of how many roles you take on, which is kind of insane the amount of work. I just see like, even just I see that Gail vitalizing like, you do so much. I'm like, how do you have time for anything? And like, you need the response time. You're like, oh yeah, it's like a lot of work, obviously with that. Um, with that as well, just thinking about your your kind of strategy with what you're doing and your expertise as well. How do you look at, I know you kind of talked about a little bit helping companies after the investment, but just allocating your time as a solo GP with, okay, you raise, you fundraise, but like in some ways you're kind of always raising, you're maybe update your LPs, et cetera. But also with helping the companies and that side of things versus, new investments, like where does your time go? I'm always just curious on that. Cause like, there's like, not a lot of expectations people don't really understand and how this works. I'm just curious for you what that looks like.
0: Yeah, it's a lot. Um, um, We do like an average of eight to nine deals a year. Okay. So that time is that time is necessary to spend on, like that is the job. And in terms of helping founders, I'm very careful about, we take board seats. So we only take limited board seats to be able to yeah. help particular set of founders um, that we are leads, lead investors in. Um, and that's mostly what we invest in as well anyway.
1: So eight or nine companies that, okay, that are taking board seats with that as well. And with these check sizes that you have on your Twitter, it's like 500 k to $1.5 million in these early, early rounds. Then you're leading then most of these deals, correct? Uh,
0: yeah. If we're not, we don't take board seats and we're not that involved.
1: Okay. Yeah. Cool. And with that too, just taking a step back into like portfolio construction as well. So you eight or nine, how many companies are going to end up doing then in terms of your fund, fund three here?
0: Mm, probably 30, 25
1: to 30. Okay. And so 25 to 30 companies that I know there's varying opinions on like ownership targets and everything. Do you have that? Is that always been something you wanted? Uh, I don't know if you did in fund one and fund two, but in fund three, I also have ownership targets and how did you come to that?
0: Yeah, we've all, we've, well, fun one, we didn't, but fun two and three, we've had ownership targets. And it's mostly to optimize on my time because I, as I said, I really care about getting involved. And, um, you know, I learned learned in fun one if I get involved and don't have enough ownership, I feel really bad about it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And I feel like I should have been better with my time management because everyone is super willing to use your time. Uh, But, the con yeah so that's where i felt like i need to change my equation to be more efficient with and more effective um as a investor in a company
1: yeah having those bigger positions in it as well and it's interesting there's there's so many different strategies in venture which is kind of fun to interview people and see what they're doing as well
0: (laughs) i think it's mostly like what works for you and everyone's different um and everyone's fund is different so i think it's more about like what resonates well for you
1: yeah one thing too, I want to talk about a little bit. I know I mentioned Samara Hernandez and obviously mentioned Gail as well. And you said in 2015, 2016, like the men of like women's solo GPs, maybe not any, if one or two. And obviously we've got a, a little bit more, but it's still pretty abysmal uh, in terms of that. And part of your time is probably, I imagine people reach out to you as well. And want to talk, it's like, yeah. oh, he's been around for a, a number of years as a solo GP. Take me through those conversations, just in terms of how you look at this whole ecosystem and getting more women investors, obviously more women founders, which is helpful for having women investors. But how do you look at that and what you're seeing in the industry? Optimistic on the changes? I'm just curious.
0: (laughs) I am so, so, so happy. Like as you and I were talking before, starting out alone and being like one of the few women GPs solo, uh, doing deals in very men-heavy investor world, I was in my corner retreated, you know, just doing my thing. Um, And calls with most VCs, men, mostly were a deal, whatever. And now my calls are so great. I love it when they're like (sighs) swapping deals and I'm talking about my kid and I'm talking about where we shop and I'm talking about like, I don't know, n number of amazing things that I feel so happy about doing versus like just doing it as an obligation. So the world has tremendously changed, not enough, but changed quite a bit since I started. And there are a lot more amazing women investors and men, you know, but the the what the change has been more around women. And, um, and yeah, I, I'm so much happier in my day to be able to talk to certain people about deals and about everything else in my life, which <laughs> I don't tend to differentiate much on. So people I work with are also my friends and, you know, I go to their weddings and it's nice to be able to have that kind of relationships as well, because you have to feel good about what you do. And for me, it's the same. It's a crossover, my personal life and private life. So, yeah, I think that's a big, amazing shift that's happened.
1: Yeah, and you can tell that actually from like your Twitter. If people look around, there's some funny, some funny things in there. One tweet in particular about newborn gas, I found hilarious. By the way, <laughs> uh, <laughs> if you want to reference it, July first, 2022. Look back at the archive. Uh, but I found that hilarious. It's like bringing yeah to that point. Your whole self, like in a board meeting, <laughs> talking about topics. You're like, I never really thought I'd necessarily this would come up, but you gotta love that. That's an option.
0: We're humans, end of the day, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: And it's such a people-driven business which i think a lot of times you don't necessarily realize i remember talking to gail a while back and she like way a long time ago even before like irish angels like in the day was like yeah that is just like more finance and numbers and all of that but especially when you're an early stage venture this is people all the time <laughs> like that's what the business is which is well, the thing is
0: there's so much out there you can work with so many different people and just like getting money too there's so many options for founders and for you as an investor, there's so many other, there's so much deal flow.
1: Yeah.
0: At the end of the day, why invest in something you don't like enjoy and feel bad about or, right? Like, yeah, it might be a hot deal, but like, I found like, I don't want to be anxious around something. Um, I don't want to like, you know, sometimes an enterprise that ends up happening, certain kind of founders have higher pedigree and exists and stuff, and they make you feel bad about something or the other. And you're so more cautious, and then you get into a comfort. After the, all these years, I get into a comfortable place where I'm like, you know what? Here's what I'm bringing to the table, and I'm happy investing in that. By the way, I have this like light on my face, the sunset. <laughs> Feel free. okay. It. <laughs> <It's all good. laughs> so what good. do
1: I do? <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it work somehow, some way. For people, check out the YouTube video. You can see what we're talking about. I'm curious with this as well, and your progression from what you've done at Array already you've seen so many companies and any venture capitalist is like one of the biggest draws of talking to VC is like, they just see so many companies. They see so many deals in different parts of the industry. And you mentioned like you're so deep in enterprise, what trends in enterprise or areas are you excited about things you're seeing? Uh, We have to dive deeper into that because I know you look at deals all the time. So let's talk a little bit more about what you're seeing.
0: Two ways to think about it. The first way is an enterprise stack. You can always, every like decade, keep reinvesting in the next gen, because the stack we have today was probably built 10 years ago. And yeah, and like even like the most popular companies, right? Like Snowflake and others were built a long time ago. So in enterprise, there's like certain functions, repeatable functions you just need software for. So I just invest in the next gen of that. That's one way to look at it. The other thing is in the stack, the most important thing that has happened in the last five years is proliferation of AI, machine learning, you know, NLP and others, which I told you, I don't even call those things out anymore because those things are just part of the business now. But your stack is not ready for that business, that that kind of backend and infrastructure for most companies in the world. So for us, that's a second perspective of like, again, why is this important and, and how does a new data AI movement, you know, create a need for you and your company? To buy a certain kind of software, so how that's how we think about it. There's obviously the third world, like behavioral change, of like future work and uh, remote work and other things that always come and go. Um, but for us, uh, those are more opportunistic investments at that time on how we think about the trend at large.
1: Yeah, well, to that point, I mean, we had a pretty gnarly last two years here in the world. Um, has that shifted anything in terms of your views on things, of what you're seeing, et cetera? I'm just curious on what you've seen then.
0: I mean, yes. The, the, we kind of looked at that as like the world is changing. The way we purchase software is changing. Um, the the way, you know, we interact with our coworkers is changing. So there is definitely that. But you know what's funny? Because I've, I've been around and I'm sort of old. I see like when I was early in my engineering days, there was this movement called outsourcing. And I was, you know, it's not that it's the same, but it's kind of your dev shops, remote kind of a thing, right? Like, and I was at that time engineer, but getting burnt out because I was working in teams all around the world. Hmm. Um, Vietnam, India, Japan. I was in East Coast at the time. So Almaden, California uh, probably one or two other locations on certain research and kind of projects and stuff. And I have to say, like, I quickly realized that, that it's not sustainable as a human, we're not robots and you can't exist in multiple time zones all the time. Yeah. So for me, when remote work came about, I knew that it's not a trend I'm doubling down on just yet because I, unless someone is very thoughtful about how they're going to take advantage of remote work, uh, and build out teams at large. And make it work so for me it's a mixed mixed opinion on that uh not you know it's not like a trend i don't want it's a trend that i know can burn you out faster than others so we're very thoughtful about that on how we think our companies should grow
1: with uh with that it brings to mind as well you mentioned your hiring are you, are you trying to build a team where you are or are you trying to build a team remotely then with your with array
0: I think both either is fine for me. I think for okay. us, a lot of our customers for our companies end up still being in the Bay Area and such, or or there's a large concentration of enterprise companies still in the Bay Area. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm open to Seattle potentially, Austin, uh, and maybe New York as
1: well. Yeah, open a few different locations. Yeah. Um, one of the last things I'm I'm, I'm curious about here with. With everything you do as a solo GP, it is obviously hard. I've talked to a lot of people about this, whether it be founders who, you know, they go through it's so crazy building a company. It's so crazy being a solo GP. How do you even take care of like your own kind of mental health? Make sure you can sustain for the long term because that's such a hard thing for anyone. And especially when you're a solo GP running this firm. Just say anything more of that for you personally.
0: So many things I can talk about here, but mental health is very, 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 very important, especially since you're working in your own silo. And there's only few things you can still share with your other colleagues in the space because they're not in your fund. Yeah. Um, and certain things that happen in the way founders treat you, you can treat founders, LPs treat you. There's like, like a, a cone of, you know, kind of like of trust yeah. that you have to deal with on certain things. And yeah, and then, and then obviously on the Twitter world, you have to show optimism, which is kind of fake. <sighs> um, so I try and- yeah not I tend not to do that uh at least as much as I can um but yeah it's hard mental health is a topic I think Brad Feld talked about it first uh about him fighting his depression and but still looking all positive and optimistic right like that's like the weird part of our jobs so we I try to I, honestly like to me I could easily tell you like oh my god yeah I go to the gym 10 times you know like <sighs> five times a week. I don't know, whatever, all those things. But honestly speaking, I don't have that kind of time. The time I do have is I spend with my family. Um and it's and I also love certain hobbies that are pretty much calming and very much like isolates me from all this and it's nothing to do with adventure. So I love that. And you have to take some time for yourself. Sometimes like last week something really irritated me and it took me a week to get off it, right? Like and that happens like the world outside can influence you many ways. And it could just be a random tweet. It could just be like a a deal you won or lost. Right. Or it could be an LP that you're working with. It could be so many things, but you have to find your center. And that I try to do that. Um, end of the day, I remind myself that I am also very lucky to be where I am. And this problem I'm facing is probably a very small thing in the big thing that I'm trying to work with. So yeah, it's important to remind yourself like where you're trying to go and where you are in that journey. And how far you've come.
1: That is so true. I think a lot of times these type A people don't do that. They're like always focused on the next thing. And it's like so hard to look back at like all the things you've done already. It's like, well, I'm going to say next thing. And um, that's a whole nother discussion.
0: I came from nothing. And I had no idea what venture capital was even more like a little bit around a decade ago. And to me, you know, again, that's why I keep repeating. My goal is to, I'm a money manager end of the day. Like SEC yeah. qualifies us as, as that, right? Like we have VC exemptions, but w- the goal here is to make 10X m- money in this asset class. That is why people are taking this risk and interest in your fund. Yeah. Um, so my North Star is, am I doing that in the right possible way? Creating long ter- long-term impact in the market as well, like so, the other side of the equation is, I'm also, you know, founders are trusting me to take them to put money in them and help them get to the next stage. So am I doing that part? So those are my two two kind of north stars for different audience that I work with.
1: Yeah. There are a number of stakeholders that you have to deal with. And I know times, we're a marketplace.
0: <laughs> I see I'm a yeah. marketplace.
1: <laughs> exactly. exactly. There's like so many things going on. And then it's yeah. like, even be, like once you're in a venture firm, like then you see more of the details too, where you're okay. Obviously people know from the outside, there's like founders and like some people may understand more of the LP side and how they invest into the funds. But then you're like, Oh yeah. On top of all that, all the legal providers, all the service providers like to run the actual fund, you see all of that back office stuff and you're like, oh wow, there are a lot of moving parts to this. Well, believe me, I talked to
0: Gail about that a lot. <laughs> She's great at it.
1: Yeah. Yes. She has done a phenomenal job and also putting people in, in place in the team to help you know, just carry some of that load a little bit because it's like there's so much to it and me just being flying the wall sometimes or some of that to see like, oh wow, like John's doing this and doing this, Gail's doing this. And you're just like, is a lot of moving parts for anyone who's in this industry. Um, there's a lot more than just the sexy VC side of things where you get to see these companies. There's like way more under the hood that you don't see, uh, which yeah. is interesting once you're in it, for sure. Yeah, And I, I just want to uh, wrap up with like, where is the the best place for founders to reach out to you, uh, get in touch, pitch their company, et cetera, for Array Ventures?
0: I think Twitter is a great place. Um it's my Twitter handle is at Shruti, A-T-S-H-R-U-T-I. <laughs> and, uh, you know, feel free to find me on LinkedIn as well. But usually that, if you want to pitch me, you can also email me on arraydeals at array.vc. So either one of those things I'm pretty available.
1: Perfect. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for having me. I appreciate you reaching out. Absolutely.
1: Hey, thanks for listening. If you want to learn more about us, head on over to vitalize.vc You can also follow us on Twitter at VitalizeVC, or you can follow me on Twitter at JustinGordon212. Have a great day, and I'll talk to you in the next episode.